0: let's pray together and then we'll dive into our time today lord we thank you that you are our strong tower that you are our refuge that you god have saved us and done a work in us and lord i pray today that as we consider your word that Lord, you would stir us up, that you would do a work in our hearts today that would be lasting, that we Lord would would experience God, your holy Spirit challenging and encouraging and transforming, and Lord we pray for the broken and hurting. In our community and in our spheres of influence, those people that don't know Jesus, God, we pray that they would come to know you this year. And Lord, we just want to surrender ourselves as we were singing today to be vessels and instruments that you can work in and work through. So God, we give you this time today in Jesus' name, amen. I have a question for you. Have you ever thought about your own memorial service like what it's gonna be like what would you want sung what would you want said maybe some of you who are a little bit you know older have thought about that but probably most of us don't give a whole lot of you know time and thinking about things like that but it's a good question to To ponder, to ask, you know, what what would you want your memorial service to be like? In my 38 years of being a a pastor, um, going on 28 years here at this church, I've done a lot of memorial services, a lot of funerals. And there have been some where um, as I'm sitting there listening to people share, as they have the time, the sharing time, and people come up and they're sharing about, you know, the person who has gone home to be with the Lord Sometimes as I'm listening and and the things that are being said, I think to myself, man, what an amazing person. What an amazing person that was. And I wish I would have known that person better. Been a lot of times when that has happened. But I got to be honest, there have been some other times where it seemed like the people that were being asked to share were finding it really, really hard. To find something good to say like they were really really struggling and straining and then there have even been times when when what was said was just absolutely lame that it was just sad like you're thinking like that's all you have to say about you know that that person so I think it's a good question for us to consider what would people share at your service what would they have to say would they have a lot to say would they, would they have a, a lot to say about the impact that you have made on their lives, or would they be straining? Now, I want to say this, because right now some of you are going like, oh man, I'm so discouraged, because like, I don't know anybody would even want to share it. My, you still have time, okay? You still have time to make an impact. But I bring this up because in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see Paul the Apostle meeting with the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus on this island. He's going to have a little mini kind of conference with these guys. And he's going to give his farewell message. And as you know, we've talked about this. Paul spent three years pastoring the church in Ephesus. And it was a church that he poured the most amount of time into. And it was a church that had a tremendous impact. I mean, the gospel went all over Asia from the impact that was there um, in Ephesus. And Paul is going to give this farewell message. And in it, he's going to really share his heart. He's going to share, you know, some things that are on his heart. And what he shares are things that I could see the church in Ephesus. If Paul had a memorial service, these are some of the things that they would have shared about Paul and the impact that he made. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13, and we read this. It says, then we went ahead, Luke speaking here, who wrote the book of Acts, to the ship and sailed to Azos. And they're intending to take Paul on board, for he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. So they sailed, Paul's going to meet them. And when he met us at Azos, we took him on board and came to Middelen, and we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios, and the following day we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trigolium. And the next day we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Pause there for a minute. So Paul, he, he's sailing. He wants to get to Jerusalem. He knows if he stops at Ephesus. There's just too many people there that he knows and loves and that know and love him, that, that he's just never going to make it to Jerusalem. So he sales pass, comes to this island of Miletus, and it's there he's going to ask the elders in the church to come and meet with them, because he has some things that are heavy on his heart that he wants to share with them. And as he shares, there's there's four things that I think we can see in the the rest of this passage that give us an idea of, of what the people in Ephesus might have said about Paul, because these were the things that Paul was all about, And and by the way, what we're going to read here in the rest of our time today is the only extended speech in the entire book of Acts directed to Christians. All the other sermons are directed towards unbelievers. But this was directed to these Christians. To to these leaders and so I think it gives us some good insight into you know some of the things that God wants to be doing in our hearts and in our minds so if you're taking notes the first thing that the church of Ephesus might have said about Paul was this that Paul made much of Jesus and not much of himself look at verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know that from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Notice here that Paul says he served among them in humility, in tears, and in trials. You know, that's not typically how great leaders describe themselves, is it? Leaders often talk about their victories, their accomplishments, and their strengths. But Paul says, I was with you in all humility in trials, in tears, in in weakness, in other words. And it's interesting, the word humility used in verse 19 is often translated weakness, and it's almost always considered as an insult. It meant low, defeated, and weak. But this particular word is used over 200 times in the Bible, and it's almost always presented as a virtue. So why would Paul take a word normally intended as an insult and turn it into a virtue? And I think the reason is this, because at its core, Christian ministry is not about extraordinary men and women of great power. It's about a great savior who can save and then use, listen, the weakest, the most broken, and the most guilty of sinners. And so Paul, he doesn't want to prop himself up as someone for them to admire, but he wants them to give them an example of an all-sufficient Savior for them to trust in. You know, it's really our weaknesses, our tears, our trials. It's in those times that God really shows up. And, and reveals his strength in our lives. It's, it's the weaknesses and the difficulties that, that demonstrate the sufficiency of our Savior. It was Tim Keller who said this, A humble and weak person will show a crucified Savior better to a listener than a polished, pulled-together expert. Because that's how it happened for us. We weren't saved by pulling ourselves together, but by admitting that we were sinners and calling on the one who was pulled apart for us. I love that. It's why I remind you all the time that none of us here have arrived. That we are all broken people who are in the process of being transformed by our loving Redeemer. And what's beautiful about that is, you know, our world has a way of discarding broken things, right? We throw away broken things. But Jesus loves to fix things that are broken and fix people that are broken and then use them in their weakness and brokenness for his glory. And when you are broken and weakened, when you're experiencing, you know, tears and trials and difficulties, you can better testify of, of the strength of our Savior, because it's in those times that we discover that in our weakness, he is what? He is strong. And I think unbelievers have a tendency to pay the most attention to us, not in our victories, but in our difficulties, when we're going through things, that's when they they watch us the most to see how we're going to you know handle things. And are we still going to praise the Lord even in the difficult times? So the first thing that the people of Ephesus might have said about Paul was that Paul made much of Jesus and not much of himself. The second thing was that Paul was faithful to what Jesus called him to do. We'll pick it up in verse 20. He says you know how I kept nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may I finished my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the, to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, I, now I know that, that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul saw himself primarily as a messenger of Jesus Christ, as the bearer of a message. And the messenger is only responsible to deliver the message, right? He's not responsible for how people are gonna receive it. And that's why Paul says, you know, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because what Paul was saying is, look, I've been faithful to do what God called me to do. I've been faithful to deliver the message. I, I delivered the message to you. And Paul alludes to this, twice how he held nothing back he says there in verse 20 and in verse 27 he says and I shunned to declare to you I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God and by the way, it's verse 27 is one of the verses in the Bible that that we in Calvary Chapel look to for our model of teaching verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the Bible. That, that we believe that's the best way to give the whole counsel of the word of God is to study it all is to go through the whole counsel of the word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. One of my friends put it this way. He says that we're about teaching the whole Bible because teaching the whole Bible makes for whole Christians who can then in turn reach the whole world. That's what we're about. That's why why we place such a huge emphasis here on teaching through the word of God. And listen, our culture can change. Our culture's changing all the time, isn't it? But God's word doesn't change. The word of God doesn't change. And so we're, we're not bending. We're not trying to, to bend the word of God to relate to culture. But we want to be people who are bending ourselves toward the word of God. And what God would say in his word about how we are to live and act. And so as a pastor, I'm committed to teaching every single aspect of the word, digging in. Yeah, I was talking to somebody this past week, and and they were telling me about a friend of theirs who, you know, had left the church and they asked him, you know, why'd you leave? And they said, You know, Pastor Rob just spends way too much time in one book of the Bible. (laughs) And I said, Guilty. Yep, that's what I'm doing. But, but this is the reason why, when I look at this, it's like there's so much here. I don't want to just gloss over. I want to breathe. I want to I dig in. You know, we saw Paul in, in the book of Acts, right before Christmas we talked about this, how when he was in Ephesus, Paul met with the believers who would come. He met with them every single day, six days a week for five hours at a time to teach the word of God. He did that for two years. That's over 3,000 hours of, of teaching and, 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 and going through the word of God. Why did Paul do that? Because he wanted to be faithful to his calling, to give them the whole counsel of the word of God. Now, here's the application for us. That was Paul's assignment. Each one of you have an assignment. We all have an assignment. And God wants us to be faithful to the assignment that he has given to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Moreover, what is required of stewards is that they may be found faithful. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for faithful. And you might be saying to yourself, well, I don't know what my assignment is. Well, I'll give you a really, really easy way to discern and figure out what your assignment is. It's by asking this question, what has God put into your hands? What has he given you? Think about Adam and Eve. They're in the garden, the very first two human beings. They're they're an example for us. Is God, basically, he could sum up Adam and Eve's assignment in this way. They were to love God, they were to love each other as husband and wife, and they were to take care of the Garden of Eden. That was their assignment. That's what God had put into their hands. So the question, what has God put into your hands? What resources? What relationships? What responsibilities? What, what opportunities? Your resources are your income. It's your assets. It's your possessions. It's your home. It's your car. How are you going to use them? What are the relationships that God has placed in your hands? Well, obviously, it's your family. And for me personally, I have one of the things God has put into my, my hands is my relationship with my wife. Prior, aside from my relationship to Jesus, that's the number one relationship. So I want to invest time. I want to invest resources into that relationship. So on my schedule every single week, my, my one day off is Friday. And on Friday, you look at my Google calendar, it says Denise Day. I've set aside that day and we set aside that time that we want to spend that time together and invest in our relationship together. And so we set aside significant time and resources and opportunity to be able to do that. I have my kids that are all grown, but they're still a part of, of who I'm investing in and pouring into. I have my grandkids, you know, every single Saturday. I study in the morning till about noon and kind of finish up preparation for Sunday. But then from, from the afternoon on, my, my uh, grandson Josiah comes over. He's six and we hang out together. We call it boys day and we just go spend the day and doing stuff and just, you know, kind of pouring into him my precious mom who's here today usually on sunday afternoons we have my mom over because that's an important relationship to us and so we eat dinner together we play cards together she usually beats us uh, but but we have a you know a great time just pouring in you know and then i have my responsibility and relationship with my church family and the, the opportunities to, you know, be able to pour resources and gifts, talents, all of that into, you know, just wanting to be in, involved in people's lives here and, and doing what God has called me to do here. It's, it's all about what has God put into your hands. That's your assignment. And each one of us has an assignment. And the only thing that God is desiring and looking for is for you to be faithful. To, for you to be faithful to what God has put into your hands. You know, I think my dad's a great example of this. My dad's in heaven now. But my dad was a behind-the-scenes kind of guy in the church. He never preached a sermon. He never taught a Bible study from a platform like this. But he used his influence to love people well. He loved my mom well. He loved our family well. He loved his grandkids well. He loved our church well. He loved his friends well. So many people here that just knew and loved my dad, and people tell me all the time how they, they miss him. What's interesting about my dad, my dad never made more than $60,000 in a year, but he was one of the most generous human beings I have ever known. He faithfully tied his whole life over 10%, and he was never in debt, partly because he never used his money for frivolous things. Things. but he was always incredibly you know giving and was still able to leave my mom in in a good financial place when he died he was an avid golfer that was his mission field that was the one kind of frivolous thing that he did but he usually went and played at the cheapest course here in north county Oceanside Muni, but that was his mission field, and he would go there, and he'd have in his golf bag tracks, and back in the days when cassette tapes were used for Bible studies, he'd have cassette tapes, and he'd pass those out to guys, and he'd talk to guys, you know, about Jesus all the time. He'd be like, hey, "You got to come and hear my son preach," you know. He was so proud of me, but anyway, you know, that was my dad. I mean, he was just so gifted. He lived three thousand miles from most of his family. And yet God used him in an instrumental way to uh, play a part in most of them coming to Christ because he would write to them, he would call them, he would send them Bible studies. In fact, one of my cousins, his name is Walter, lives in North Dakota. He watches our church online practically every single week. He thinks that this is kind of his church. My dad made an impact on him. Walter, if you're watching, you know, God bless you, brother. (laughs) But here's the thing. My dad never, ever had a title, never wanted a title. But when he went to heaven, I no doubt believed that he heard from the Lord. Tony, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Why? Because he simply took what God had put into his hands. His resources, his responsibilities, his relationships, and he was faithful. That's what it's about. That's, that, that's what makes it so simple, is you just look at it that way. What does God put in your hands? And be faithful to that. That's your assignment. Invest your time and your talents, your gifts and your resources into what God has put into your hands. Invest your time into what it means for you to be a part of this church Now, before we move on to point three, I want to note three things quickly that our text tells us about Paul that I think helped him be faithful to his calling. And these are three things that are connected and they really feed off one another. The first is that Paul wanted to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we see there in verse 22 that he uses this term. It's an interesting term. He says, I go bound in the Spirit. That's how Paul looked at being led was the Holy Spirit has captured my heart, and I want him to lead me. I want him to guide me. I, I want to be one who is yielded to him. And so he's leading me, and even though that meant that, that Paul was going to be led into difficulty, In fact, it says there in our text that everywhere Paul went, in every city, the believers were warning him, don't go to Jerusalem because there's difficulty that awaits you there. And Paul's like, I know, the Holy Spirit's been telling me that, but he's leading me, and so that's where I'm going. And that's because the second thing that we see here in verse 24, it tells us that Paul didn't count his life dear to himself. He says, none of these things move me because I do not count my life dear to myself. Now, I'll be honest with you. My, my problem often is I count my life dear to myself too much, <laughs> right? I'm always concerned about my desires and my needs and my goals. And, and I, I can be, get too hyper fixated on, on me. Paul wanted to live differently. He wanted to live as a man who was being led and and guided by the Holy Spirit and and he said that even in the midst of his difficulties he's like none of these things move me. Now was Paul superhuman? Was Paul a super saint? I mean, we know Paul went through a lot. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians 11. He talks about how he was beaten with 39 stripes. Another time he was beaten with rods. Another time he was stoned. He was put in prison several times. He was shipwrecked several times. Paul went through, you know, more difficulty than maybe any other Christian who has lived. In fact, listen how Paul describes his struggles there in 2 Corinthians 11. It'll be on the screen. He says, I have traveled on many long journeys. And I face danger from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. I have faced danger in cities as well as in the desert and on, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but they are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul went through a lot, didn't he? But he says here, but none of these things move me. Is that really true? No, Paul, listen to me. Listen to me. Hear me close here. Paul was moved by these things. Paul was stirred by these things. But he was never permanently moved. You see, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, he says this. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed. That's being moved. Completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. I, I felt completely over my head so that we even despaired of life itself. Listen, Paul went through things that were so hard that there were times that he just wanted to die. And he was just like, God, just please take me home. So when Paul says, none of these things move me, is, is he really being honest? I think what he's saying is this, is none of these things permanently moved him. In other words, his struggles didn't define him. They didn't define him. They didn't make him want to quit, or they didn't make him quit. They might have made him want to quit uh, sometimes, but, but he, didn't, he didn't ever quit. He kept going because he knew that God was in control. He knew that the Holy Spirit was leading him. And so he didn't count his life dear to himself because it wasn't about Paul. It was about Jesus being glorified. And so my point is this, there are going to be things in your life and my life that will move us in the same way that there were things that moved Paul, but he didn't let those things permanently disable him or define him. He rose up. He kept going with a confidence, because he knew that God was in control, that Jesus loved him and had captured him. He knew that the Holy Spirit was leading. He knew that God was on the throne. And here's the third thing we can learn from Paul about being faithful to our calling is Paul was always looking to the end of the race. He was always looking to the prize. Again, in verse 24, he says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that, everybody say so that, I may finish, everybody say finish, my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What kept Paul being faithful is he was looking for the prize. He was looking to the end. You know, there's a lot of Christians who start well in the Christian life, but they don't finish well. You know, we've seen in the music industry, you know, one-hit wonders, you know, Carly Ray Jepsen, Milli Vanilli, you know, one-hit wonders. Remember those guys? God doesn't want us to be one-hit wonders. No, he wants us to finish strong. It's it's not how we start in the Christian life that really matters the most. It's how we finish. And church, can I plead with you today? Let's finish well. Amen? Let's be those who finish well because heaven is waiting because eternity is longer eternity listen can, eternity with the lord and all that he has for us he's coming back you know this earth he's going to set up his kingdom we're ruling and reigning with, he has so much in store for us it's going to make this life look like a short walk in the park compared to what eternity is going to be like later is longer let's live for the prize amen I love how Paul puts it in 1st, 2nd Corinthians 4. He says, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. And a lot of us hear that and go, Amen, Paul, my outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man, here's the good news, is being renewed day by day for our light affliction. That's how, how God sees what we go through here. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, feels like it's been forever, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. that's what we're looking for. Paul lived with eternity in view. So he was running his race to win. Can I encourage you, church? We're in a race. Don't just run to run. Don't just be content with being in the race. Let's run to win. So the church in Ephesus might have had this to say about Paul, that Paul made much of Jesus and not much of himself. Paul was faithful to his calling. Number three, if you're taking notes, Paul cared deeply for the church. We'll pick it up in verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, Paul says something here that I think all of us need to take note of and remember. And it pertains to us individually as well as us corporately. Because, you see, it's believers in Jesus Christ that make up the church. And what Paul says here about the church is that the church was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are valuable to God. You are so valuable and God desired so much to have you in his family that he sent his prized possession, his beloved son to come and die on the cross to shed his blood, to cleanse us of our sin and to redeem us out of the bondage of sin and the bondage to the devil. And he did that because he loved you and he wanted you to be a part of his family. You are blood And the blood that has been spilled to bring you into the family of God was the very blood of Jesus. And Paul says, if Jesus poured out his blood for the church, I'm gonna pour my life into it. I'm gonna pour my life into the church. Now, I know that your role and my role is not the same as the Apostle Paul. And your role is, isn't the same as mine or maybe somebody who is on staff here. But I want to say this. The church should be precious to all of us. You know why? Because it's precious to God. He purchased it with his blood. You know, sometimes I meet people who say, you know, Rob, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. That's why I don't go. You know, the Bible tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. So that would be like you saying to me, you know, Rob, I like you. I think you're pretty cool, but I can't stand Denise, (laughs) your wife. We're not going to be on very good terms. (laughs) We're not going to get close. If that's your heart, (laughs) that's what you would say. Well, listen, I know my wife isn't perfect, but... She's an incredible human being. She loves Jesus, man. She loves the church. I, in our marriage, I definitely got the better end of the bargain, you know. She is for sure my better half. But I know, I know she's not perfect. She would to say, I'm not perfect. But I love her with all my heart. So if you and I, if we're going to be friends, you're going to need to love my wife too. Or at least like her a lot, okay. Well, so too, Jesus calls us his bride, And he knows that we are not perfect. He knows that we are broken and that we are people in the process of being transformed. But Jesus loves his bride. And so if you love Jesus, you're gonna need to love the bride too. Amen? So because Paul cared so much for the bride of Christ, so much for the church, he says to these leaders in verse 28, he says, hey, take heed to yourself and to the flock of God that he has put you over. And I want you to notice the order. He says, first take heed to yourselves and second to the flock. He's telling these guys to keep watch over your own hearts. It's not. He's not necessarily impo- implying having a priority on self, but it's really the preparation of self because it's the understanding. If I'm going to be one who's going to be effectively used in the lives of other people to bless other people, I need to be somebody who is first being blessed by Jesus. If I'm going to be used as somebody that the Lord can use to, to to pour into others, I need to first be one who is being poured into by Jesus. He's talking here about our devotional life, coming before the Lord. You know, there was a man who went on a trip to France. It was a business trip. And while he was there, he, he got a little present for his wife. It was this little jewelry box that was supposed to glow in the dark. But when they got home, it, it didn't work, it didn't glow in the dark. And all the instructions were in French, and neither one of them spoke French, so they didn't know what to do with this. Well, she happened to have a friend who spoke French, and she brought the little box and the instructions and said, hey, this is supposed to glow in the dark, but it's not working. And she read the instructions and said, oh, it's like a solar box. You need to set it in the sunlight for it to then glow in the dark. You know, the same thing is true of you and I. If we're going to glow and shine for Jesus in this dark world, we need to first sit in the S-O-N sunlight. We need to sit in his presence. You know, this is really what our whole week of prayer and fasting is all about. We we theme that week every year, presence, because it's not really about getting more from God, but it's about getting more of God as we come together three times a day to seek him and sit in his presence as we pray and fast together. As we take time to, you know, when we would normally be eating, that we're going to seek him in prayer. We're fasting from food. When we normally maybe would be caught up in our, on our phones or on social media or involved in some kind of tech, that we fast from that, and we're, we're seeking him, and we're fasting you know, from entertainment to sit in his presence so that he can shine on us, so that we can shine bright in this dark world. And listen, if you want to do well in your assignment, it starts with taking heed to yourself and your own walk with the Lord. And then let Jesus flow out of what he's doing in your heart. So Paul says then them, take heed to yourself and to the flock. And then he says something to these men that was probably hard for, them to, for him to say and even harder for them to hear. Look at verse 29. He says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Here's what Paul's saying. Not everyone who says they do really cares about the church. Some merely want to use the church for their own benefit. And Paul says to these guys, beware, watch on be on guard, because wolves are going to seek to come in. And wolves, this is what they do. They eat sheep shepherds care for the sheep wolves they eat sheep they prey on the sheep but then paul says and even from among yourselves oh how that must have just like a dagger to their hearts right oh one of us and so it's so vitally important we need to take heed to ourselves we need to always be on guard We need to always be pressing into Jesus. And Paul said, you know, you guys know, look at verse 31. He says, therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And this is my point. Paul cared so much for the church that he wasn't afraid to say the hard things even to these guys that he loved deeply. So at Paul's memorial service, the sharing from the people in the church of Ephesus might have centered around how Paul made much of Jesus and not of himself, how Paul was faithful to what Jesus had called him to do, and how much Paul loved the church of God. And number four, that Paul gave more than he took. Look at verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and those who are with me. Remember, Paul was a tent maker. He worked on building tents on the side, preached in the afternoon. Verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul thought that the the successful life and a blessed life is one in which you give more than you take. Why did Paul think that way? Because that was the model of Jesus. Remember Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Remember on the night before Jesus was going to go to the cross, remember what he did with his disciples, how he took some water and he washed their feet? I mean, that was the lowest job. For the lowest servant in the house, he would be the one assigned to wash feet. And that's what Jesus did. He, he lowered himself in that type of way. Now, I got to tell you, on most days, if I knew tomorrow, you know, I was going to die, uh, tonight would be about me. It would be me time, you know. It'd be like, hey, cook me a good steak, uh, you know, give me a, a back rub. I mean, that would be my mentality. But Jesus was so different, And Paul keyed into that, and he sought to live his life that way, that he really believed in the premise that Jesus gave, where Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when you begin to really understand that, that's the mark of maturity. I mean, you want to live live a blessed life, Apply that principle. It's more blessed to give than to receive to every aspect of your life. Apply it in your marriage, in your parenting, in your friendships, and in your involvement in the church. If you want to flourish and and fulfill your assignment that God has given to you, give more than you receive. Let your life be marked by giving to others and not taking And here's what I think that means. I think it means this. I think that this is where it starts. You stop taking accounts. You stop keeping accounts. Because this is what we do so often, right? Well, I did that for you last time. Remember? Remember last time what I did? It's your turn now. You know, or we say things like, you know, I'm, I'm scoring some points now, you know, with the ideas, you know, they're going to pay me back later. And we have that tendency. Jesus said, no, no, no. Live in this mentality. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Be a giver, not a taker, and you will be blessed big time. I'll close with this story. How many of you ever heard of a guy by the name of William Tyndale? Ever heard of William Tyndale? William Tyndale published the first English Bible. It was called the Tyndale Bible. And in the 1500s, this Englishman, William Tyndale, wanted to translate the Bible from, uh, which was written in Greek and Hebrew, he wanted to translate it into English. But at the time, there was not an English Bible, only a Bible in Latin there in England. And so most Englishmen couldn't read Latin, so they couldn't read the Bible. And this really troubled um, Tyndale. So he wanted to get the Bible translated into English. But the problem was, it was illegal to translate the Bible. You could actually be killed for trying to translate a Bible But God intervened through this wealthy, godly businessman by the name of Humphrey Monmouth. And Monmouth protected Tyndale. He gave him a place to work. He provided for him. He even used his merchant ships to smuggle the first English New Testaments into England. And this is what's really, really interesting about that story. Very, very few people have ever heard of Humphrey Monmouth. A lot of people know William Tyndale. They know the Tyndale Bible. But very few people, they they even know the name Humphrey Monmouth, but his partnership with Tyndale changed the world. It changed Christianity, and he didn't care who got the credit for it. He just wanted to use his resources to get the job he saw an assignment that God had put into his hands and he sought to see how he could be used in that way for the glory of God. That's how we need to live. Use what God has put into your hands for his glory. Let's wrap up the final couple of verses here as we see how it kind of leads us where Paul goes next. This is where we'll pick it up next week. Verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Verse 37. And then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words that he spoke that they would see his face no more and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you, Lord, that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for anybody here that has yet to experience that, that doesn't know what it means to be a part of your family. And if that's you here today, I just want to encourage you, if you want to enter into that relationship with God today, just tell him. Just tell him. Just say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. And God's going to meet you today. Lord, I pray for the rest of us that we would be those who are running well. Lord, that we would be those who, who understand that, that our lives are, are really, we're here to make much of Jesus, not ourselves. Help us, Lord, but through your grace and the leading of your spirit and the empowering of your spirit to be faithful to the assignment that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for your church, for this local church, this church family that I get to be a part of, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to just cherish how special it is to be a part of a family like this. And God, I pray that each of us would be investing our time and our gifts and our resources into what you want to do in us and through us in this family. Lord, you are such a giver. Lord, make us givers. Do that work in us, Lord, we pray. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We desire, God, that you would do that work in our hearts. As we just remain right now in this attitude of prayer I think the Lord would have us to just allow this to kind of marinate in our hearts as we take a little bit of time to just worship Him, to wait upon Him. Maybe you're here today and you realize that in this race, you, you haven't really been running, you haven't been running hard. just been kind of cruising along and, and you want to run strong. You want to depend upon the Lord. Up front today, there are men and women available to pray for you. Maybe you're in the midst of a deep trial right now that you're, that you're going through a struggle. Know this. Jesus is with you. He sees you. He loves you. He wants to be magnified in the midst of your difficulty. He wants to show himself strong in the midst of your weakness maybe today you're in the midst of a difficulty and you just need some prayer again people here up front both sides part of our prayer team they'd love to pray for you they'd love to just love on you today to pray with you about that that situation that you find yourself in but right now before we walk out into this day let's make much of jesus as we once again lift up our voices and our hearts our hands and in worship to Him.